Welcome to the River Hills Church Deep and Wide podcast. Each week we'll be going a little deeper and casting the vision a little wider based upon what we talked about on Sunday morning. So we are so glad you joined us. Stay tuned as we get rolling into Deep and Wide. Speaks. And we dove into John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. However, as we move forward in our spiritual growth, and one of our applications was to grow is that we need to know scripture. One of the questions that all of us have and continue to have and have always had as believers is, how do we know how the Bible is true? How was it put together? How do we use it? And the questions can go on and on. Now, this is a topic we've addressed in previous podcasts, and it's really been the mantra of what I believe in as far as helping people understand Scripture and connect it to them in such a way that they take this depth, this ancient truth, and apply it to their contemporary context. And and so what I want to do during our podcast today is just really talk about how we got the Bible, how it's how it's organized, and then how you can use it personally. Um, It is tough to read. I'll be the first one to um, really affirm that. However, I think we make it more complex than it is. uh, And most of us aren't equipped to handle it. And what I mean by equipped is that part of it is possibly the church's fault and not giving you the opportunity to learn how to do it or teaching how to do it. And we have very much the come and hear method. And that's really even been the method in many of our educational systems about listen to me and learn it for other and really i think the vast majority of believers it's the idea that uh they just we just don't try to learn it uh we want it to come easy um but it is not a book that we want to take flippantly and it's not a book that necessarily comes easy however god does speak through it and sometimes it is easy now i know all that made sense right I feel like i contradict myself about a hundred times in that phrase but What I want to do is really capture the essence of what D.L. Moody, uh, a 19th century pastor, said. And I want want you to hear this quote. He once said, I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. Have you guys ever felt that way? You pray for something, perhaps to know or understand something, and hey, it came down and struck me like lightning. Then he goes on to say this, "But, but faith did not seem to come. So one day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He said, I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. And now my Bible, now I opened my Bible and began to study and faith has been growing in me ever since. Now, that's the, that's the point is that many times we're praying for God to give us an answer. We're praying for God to work. We're praying for understanding and clarity or discernment, but yet we never open Scripture. And then when we do open Scripture, we tend to just flip open the pages and point our finger to a verse and think that's what's going to give it to us. We treat it almost like some people would treat, uh, you know, a lottery ticket or some kind of astrological thing that you see in the newspaper or your horoscope or whatever it may be. And it's just it just doesn't work that way. And so let's kind of put some some bones to understanding how the Bible is organized, why it was written, what is written, and how we begin to use it in our own lives. Uh, This really, this podcast can really change your life because I really believe, and I want you to hear me, is that I love Scripture. I love the Bible. Uh, It has been something I've been seriously engaging with 
since my early 20s. Um, it's been something that's changed me. Um, I've read it from cover to cover many times, not necessarily in order, um, but it is it's changed me, man. That's the best way I can explain it. Um, we had a young lady in our church come to Christ several weeks ago, and um, I'll never forget this. I hope I never forget this as long as I'm in ministry, as long as I live, is uh, she sat down and I said, how'd you become a Christian? She said, I read the Bible and it pointed to Jesus. Isn't that it? Is that sometimes we just got to take the time to understand it, to sit in its words. So, Let's kind of deal with it. Uh, Psalm 119.54, I love this. Um, and this is my desire for you, that the decrees of the Bible, that its words are the theme of your song wherever you go. I love that. Let me read it verbatim. Your decrees are the theme of, theme of my song wherever I lodge. My prayer for you as you listen to this is that wherever you go, whatever you do, is that the scripture echoes deep within your soul. So let's just kind of jump off in this. You know, the Bible's divided up into really two basic parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, each of them has a specific organization to it. And so if you're new to a scripture, I want you to understand that the Old Testament is what it means. It's the old testimony of who God is. The New Testament is the new testimony, meaning the message of Christ, who Christ is, to who God is. Um, there is a period of what we call silence of about four centuries in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not written chronologically. It's not written from um, what the book that was written uh, the longest ago to the one that was written most currently. It's not organized like that. We'll get into that. But what I want you to understand is, is from my perspective and really what our church believes, and I would encourage you to really dive into this, when we think about the Bible, we call it the inspired word of God. Now, let me help you understand what that means. This means God himself, the Holy Spirit, worked through the different authors and their personalities to give us his perfect word. Now, what I mean by that is that when you take scripture and you um, look at like, let's let's just pick an Old Testament book like um Let's put let's let's pick uh, Genesis, which is we think Moses wrote that based upon the oral tradition of the Israelite people. We we look at that and it's written through his personality, and we compare it to a First Peter in the New Testament that was written by the Apostle Peter uh, many 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 centuries after Genesis. We see his personality in the midst of that. Yet they all are consistent in what they say and how it works. And so when we think about scripture being the inspired word of God, we have to understand it, that God works uniquely through these different personalities and authors to bring about a cohesive and consistent scripture for his people. You know, he didn't record a message to us. He wrote it down and through the generations and generations and generations, it's endured. So, all that being said, we understand it. I'm starting with this premise that it's the inspired word of God. That's where I begin. I hope you can begin there too. at least begin to think through that and pray through that. It did God, you know, he didn't necessarily write, put his finger down on, or a pen down on a piece of paper and write out, you know, first Samuel, but he did inspire that writing. So let's keep rolling. The Bible in itself also is very historical. When we look at it, from a historical point of view, there are a lot of things that we see outside of scripture that we also see historians have written about. Um, whether you compare 
parts of what's happening in the New Testament with the writings of Josephus, or whether you look at extra ar- archaeological digs um, in, in you know ancient Turkey and different parts of Israel or Jordan or wherever that may be, you see that there is a connection to what happened in Scripture and what we're discovering even through those digs or even in other historical writings. Now, in a firm Scripture, gives validity to this message over and over again. I'll give you a cool example. The Old Testament mentioned a people known as the Hittites nearly 50 times. And for centuries, uh, those who study the ancient world questioned the Bible because they could never discover any archaeological evidence of these people. However, in 1906, uh, the Hittite capital was uncovered about 90 miles east of Ankara, the capital of Turkey. And so there we have evidence that there is some form of validity to the Hittites and scripture in which it builds upon scripture, giving it more and more validity. So we have to see it historically is not just as God's word, but there's a historical concept of what's happening in scripture. When you read the book of Acts, you know things that are happening historically, and that gives context to what is being written. Not only is the Bible historical, there's an authenticity and unity and preservation um, and how is written. And, and what I mean by that is it's authentic in the sense of, and we'll look at this in just a moment, about how it was copied, you know, whether it started off with one manuscript and then that double, tripled, quadrupled, and so on and so forth. There's authenticity in how these things were copied. You know, they today we can go to a copy machine or a printer or whatever it may be, or save it on your laptop or even on your phone, and there is a direct copy. Take a picture of it. They didn't have that then, so they had to have these scribes writing this stuff down. We'll talk about that. There's also unity in it, Um, and it's what's so fascinating about Scripture to me is that there's unity in its message from Genesis to Revelation, Um, and this wasn't by accident. And, And if you were to take any other book or collection of books and put them together, and find that unity stretched over thousands of years, I would dare say it doesn't exist outside of Scripture. And then there's preservation. Uh, scholars, scribes, and, and the church itself, and, and, and we can even go into uh, Judaism about how they preserve their manuscripts. Let me give a couple ideas to, for you about that. And when we think about manuscripts and we think about things that we've learned in, in history, we've got things like, um, Caesar's Gaelic Wars, which is something you study um, in school. And there are 10 manuscripts in existence with the earliest date being 900 AD. Uh, you have Herodotus's history, uh, which you also study in school, which the earliest manuscript we have is 900 AD, and there's only eight of them. Now listen to this. The New Testament, we have, a, we have over 14,000 manuscripts with the earliest one dating back to 125 AD. Yet nobody ever questions the validity, the authenticity, and the preservation of Caesar's Gaelic Wars or Herodotus's history or anything like that. However, the New Testament far outweighs it as it pertains to authenticity and unity and preservation. The Bible was written over by over 40 different authors, and they come from different backgrounds. You have people like the prophet Jeremiah who wrote. Jeremiah. You have the priest Zechariah, who guess what? He wrote Zechariah. You had a shepherd and a farmer named Amos writing the book of Amos. King David, who was also a shepherd, writing different parts of scripture. A servant, guy named Nehemiah, wrote the book of Nehemiah. A doctor wrote the book of Luke. 
tax collector who was a terrible sinner in the eyes of the Jewish people wrote the book of Matthew. You had a Pharisee named Paul writing myth, different parts of scripture. So you had all these people from different backgrounds and you'd had even different, um, different ethnicities, I guess you would call it, or different cultural backgrounds in some ways. When you look at somebody like Luke and then you look like somebody like Moses who are writing different types of scripture, all working together. It was written on three continents. You have scripture written, written in Asia. You have scripture written in Africa. You have scripture written in Europe, all coming together. And the thing is, I want you to think through this for a moment. A gap of more than 400 years separated the writing of the Old Testament from the New Testament. That's equivalent to the time span of Sir Francis Drake uh, in our history to today. And yet there's consistency. This is an old book. And when we begin to think of it in its age and how it's been preserved and unified and it's been translated over and over again. It's the most popular book in the world, still working together. And so there's two periods, like we said, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament was really originally written in the Hebrew language. Um, and so we'll get into this in just a few moments. But when we think about what scholars even today have to do uh, in translating any ancient manuscript or even translating anything, you got to understand is that there are guys, and I've had to do this in different classrooms, sitting in front of a Hebrew manuscript, not the original ones. They don't let us touch those. But a Hebrew Bible and translating that into English, it is a very, very difficult discipline. The same thing goes with the New Testament. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which is the common Greek language. Blue-collar guys would use this type of Greek language, and that's what the New Testament was written in. And so, you know, you have these different languages coming together. For the Old Testament, New Testament, as far as Greek goes, coming together, being affirmed over and over and over again. Um, we'll start with the New Testament. In some ways, the New Testament was written over a period of about 70 years, which is really different than the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written over hundreds and hundreds of years because we look at the history of the Jewish people, the coming of of uh, the coming them coming out of slavery. We look at the Psalms, you look at the prophets, them going into Babylon. We'll talk about that. And so, you know, there's a long period of time. But when we deal with the New Testament, we're looking at about 70 year period of time from, you know, in the books dealing Matthew to Revelation. Um, now, the Old Testament, not a lot of people questioned its validity from the perspective of it being preserved or authentic in its manuscripts. Now, obviously, they question whether they believe it or not, but very few people question whether it's valid as far as its authenticity. Uh, and there's a couple reasons why. One of them is they had something called scribal care of transmission. Okay. And what that means is, these scribes would sit in a room with a candle and they would copy verbatim one page of the Old Testament to another manuscript. And it'd take about a day to, to, to copy one page. And they knew how many numbers were on, how many words were on each page. And they put the number in the margins. They knew how many words were in each line and so on and so forth. They'd even begin to write the word God. And before they write the word God, they would bathe themselves because it was so holy to them. And so they took great care and writing and copying out this manuscript and it had to match. And obviously it was proofread. Think about it. You spend all day copying one piece of paper by candlelight and you get to the end of the day and you count the words and you count them again and you count them again and it doesn't match the manuscript you copied off of. Her, off of. You have to tear it up and start over. 
There was, there was extreme care that these scribes took in making sure that the Old Testament was copied appropriately. Um, Jesus affirmed this. This is something that's big for a Christian. When we look at the Old Testament, you cannot throw that out of your spiritual growth or understanding of Scripture. As a Christian, um, the Old Testament is valid. Now, we have to understand it in its context. We have to work hard to understand some of those obscure laws um, and, and really gathering up what they mean and what they meant and how Jesus fulfilled those laws. But you can't throw it out. You can't throw the Old Testament out. If you ever get to a place where a pastor throws that out, stop going to that church, stop listening to that podcast, because the Old Testament is scripture. And so uh, these scribes, they developed a vowel system. Now, when I first went into seminary, one of the first classes I had to take was Hebrew. Now, guys, you know me. If you don't know me, you're about to. I grew up in Bold Springs, Georgia, on a farm, and I struggled with uh, literature and I struggled struggled with grammar. You probably can tell from the way I talk sometimes. And when we when I had to encounter the Hebrew language, not only was it written with symbols, in my opinion, in the way it looked, it was written backwards from what I was normally used to writing. And so, er, above every one of these little words that were spaced out, there were dots or slashes. Those were the vowels. They created vowels so that we could better interpret what's going on. Those vowels didn't exist when they first were written, but they wanted people to understand what it was saying, so they created this vowel system. They also developed a system of accents on how to say the word. They even spaced the words out so that we could follow along better. And then they developed that detailed system of notes in the margin to say, hey, this is how many words are on each page. This is what you need to know. This is how this. And it was meticulous in how they kept up with the Old Testament. And so throughout history, it's always been maintained that this Old Testament book is unified and preserved in the greatest authenticity possible. The New Testament is where people begin to have a lot of fights and struggles because they're saying, hey, it was only written over 70 years. There weren't a lot of manuscript, although there are over 14,000 in a vault. We don't have the original piece of paper. You don't have the original piece of paper of the Iliad and the Odyssey either. All those things. So how can we know it's true and how is it put together? Well, I want you to think through a couple of things. The New Testament um, were basic, is, is basically a collection of letters written to different churches or about different things. And so we call those epistles. And they came up with five criteria, the early church did, because they had the Old Testament, but now we have this mint, this thing uh, called Christianity and, and the message of Jesus. We got to write this stuff down too. How do we know if this is scripture? How do we know if this is inspired by God's word? So they came together and said, prayed through it and were unified and said, this is it. It has to have apostolic authority. Well, what does that mean? That letter that was written, let's take the gospel of John, had to be written by an apostle or someone connected to an apostle. And there were only 11. If you count Paul, there were 12 of those. If you count Matthias, there were 13. So you think through that, have apostolic authority. So while Luke may not have been an apostle, he was connected with Paul. He was connected with the other apostles like Simon Peter. The book must be old. If the New Testament book is not old, then 
guess what? They didn't use it. So that's why you kick out books like you see on the History Channel, the Discovery Network, like the Gospel of uh, or the Letter of Judas or the Gospel of Thomas or things like that. They're not old. You know, they're not in the period from, you know, 40 A.D. until 108 A.D. that when the New Testament is written in those times in that period. It must be orthodox. So what I mean by orthodox, it must be consistent with the Old Testament. And it must be consistent with each other. If it's not, they didn't use it. Number four, the book must be in use by the churches. The churches that had spread out through the entire world at this point, when they affirmed it, the New Testament had to be in use by these churches. Now, interestingly enough, the New Testament was ratified by a council of pastors and bishops in eighty. 397 called the Council of Carthage. Now, several years before that, about 40 years before that, 30, 40 years, and, and a church uh, theologian um, and, and pastor named Athanasius had affirmed all of these in what he's called his Easter letter in, in, three, in 367 AD. Um, and he affirmed all these books, the New Testament, what we know it today, because they were already being used in these churches. He just wanted to make sure we had a record of it. And then this was later on affirmed by that council. And then after that, we've used it in our New Testament. But remember, it had to have an apostolic authority. They had to have, be old. It had to be orthodox, use in church. And then finally, have to have spiritual value. If it didn't have spiritual value, then it didn't use it. And this is something that was really preached and proclaimed throughout all of uh, the early period of time, what we call the church fathers, Um in church history to where they were taking these letters and combining them together and saying, this is what the word of God says. Really important for us to understand that. So we've got all these books, 66 of them, but some of you are going to be thinking, hey, you know what? I grew up Catholic. We had a few more than that. Now, Protestants affirm 39 books of the Old Testament, while Roman Catholics and Ethan Orthodox churches affirm what we call the Apocrypha. Maybe you've heard of that before. The Apocrypha, which means hidden books, um, they say were written in that period of silence between the last book of the Old Testament, which was Malachi, and then when the New Testament started to be written or when Jesus came on the scene. Now, while there is significant historical value and even spiritual value to some of these books, I want you to understand they're not consistent with the message of Scripture that we have on our bookshelves today. There's some fallible history in there. There's some fallible religious consistencies in there. And so we may use it as a resource, but we don't use it as scripture. And so that's why, I'm, and there's more to that. I would encourage you to check out desiringgod.org. They have a great article on the Apocrypha, but uh, we don't want to spend much more time there. Now, all that being said and done, that's how this Bible came together is the Old Testament had been established. It had great scribal care and had it all written down. The Jewish people used it in their synagogues. Christ came and all of these apostles and their disciples began to write these epistles and they brought them together and sent them to the churches. They were in use for hundreds of years. And then in 397, they said, here it is. We put it all together now. That's how you got your Bible. Now, the question is whether you're going to trust that or not. Now, for me, and there's so much more archaeological, historical, as well as literary evidence to say, hey, this is God's word, really comes down to a faith issue with you. Did with me. And when I started getting serious about scripture, um, 
I got a NIV study Bible and I uh, just started college. Got it done to work in my life. I want to know what the Bible says. And I got my mom to buy me one of these NIV study Bibles because they weren't cheap. And I tore that thing apart. It had stuff like archaeological evidence and why that's important, historical context of each passage of scripture, you know. And so I would read a section, then I'd read all the commentary and historical and archaeological and, and all that contextual evidence about why that Bible was written. And it changed me. And what I want to encourage you to do is to be a student of God's word. Now, I'll give you a, a couple of resources, one of which was the NIV Study Bible, um, and I'll give you a couple more at the end. But let me kind of talk through for a minute how this Bible is organized, because I said at the very beginning, it's not organized chronologically. It's organized a little differently. Um, it starts with what we call the Pentateuch or the Torah, which means the first five ver first five books of the Bible. This is chronological. It's written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, and it talks about, you know, basically Genesis chapter one and two talk about creation. Genesis chapter three talks about the mess we got in. And then the rest of the Bible is how God gets us out of that mess. But that's the Pentateuch. And then you have what we call the pre-kingdom history books, basically Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Those fit in that period of time to where the Israelite people come into the promised land, but they haven't set up the kingdom, what we know as the kingdom of David yet. And so it's pre-kingdom historical. So there's a lot of context, a lot of spiritual value, obviously, in those books. But specifically, Joshua was leading the Israelite people in the book of Joshua to conquer the promised land. And then you had judges instead of kings, and they were judging the people. This is where you see people like Samson, who was a judge, and Gideon. Then you had Ruth. We don't know exactly who wrote that, but it talks about, really, it's a great illustration of who Christ is as far as a kinsman redeemer and Boaz. It's a very it's a beautiful book. I had the opportunity to preach through it years ago. Then we go into what we call the kingdom historical books. And that's 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and you guessed it, 2 Chronicles. Um, we got ideas about who wrote these books, but basically this tells us from when King Saul became king of Israel all the way through King David and others King Solomon, and then the collapse of Israel when they went into a great civil war, and then it split into the northern kingdom and the kingdom of Israel, and then how the Babylonians and the Assyrians came in and took it and took the people captive for years and years. And so they go into exile. And during that time of exile, we have three books that were written. We call them the exile and post-exile historical books, which were Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Those were all written up during that period of time of when the people of Israel were in captivity in Babylon or, or Assyria. And then as they came out, as you'll see in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Then we have a group of books put together. This is where the chronology stops. We have what we call the poetry. We have Job, which we believe is the oldest book in the Bible. And uh, it really talks about suffering and why that happens and God's sovereignty in, in the midst of that. And it's written as a poem, as is Psalms, which is a collection of hymns uh, that they used in Jewish synagogues and during times of worship. And Proverbs, which is a collection of sayings by many different authors, both Psalm and Proverbs uh, have many different authors. Then you have Ecclesiastes which is another poem written by Solomon, which is God is our only hope. Then you have what we call Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. It was written by Solomon. 
which talks about, you know, a relationship between a man and a woman all the way from, you know, attraction to dating, to courtship, to engagement, to the the marriage, to the honeymoon. And as they grow old together, it's beautiful. Then we, we have what we call the major prophets and the minor prophets. Major prophets in the Old Testament are prophets who tell God's word about impending doom or about God's truth. And the reason they're called major, and you guessed it, is because they are longer books. Minor prophets, same thing, but shorter books. And they all fit within the historical books uh, that we talked about a few minutes ago. So that's your Old Testament, how it's organized. Context is everything. Then you have the New Testament. The New Testament basically has five parts to it. You have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the historical book of the New Testament, which is the book of Acts, which talks about how the early church got started. And uh, then you have the Pauline epistles, which are letters by the Apostle Paul. They are not chronological. They are listed in order of length. So Romans being the longest letter, they go all the way through Philemon, which is the shortest letter. And these are all written by Paul, and they fit typically within the context of the book of Acts. Then you have the general epistles, which is Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. And so these are all individual letters written to different churches from different people who have apostolic authority. And then you have what we call prophetical or, apo or uh, apocalyptic literature, which is Revelation, which is written by the Apostle John. Now, all that being said is that's how the New Testament is organized. And remember, that was written over 70 years versus the Old Testament was written over hundreds and thousands of years. So that's how it all got there. That was like drinking out of a fire hydrant. I know. But my desire is, and my hope for you, is that you use Scripture, that you use it to grow in your relationship with the Lord. So let me give you a quick acronym, because my hope is that you would take about 10, 15 minutes a day and read the Bible. And really, you need a starting point. If you've never read the Bible before, I want to encourage you to start in the book of John. That's always a great start. And always try to read the New Testament first. So start there. Don't try to read this chronologically. Don't try to read so much that you get bored with it. You're going to get to places like Leviticus and you're going to like, what does this mean? So take your time. Mix it up. Stay consistent by doing it. We're going to use this acronym called PRAISE. P R A. I-S-E. Now, this is not something I came up with, but it's something we use in a lot of our discipleship classes here at River Hills. But basically, it means this. When you sit down to read the Bible, first, pray. Pray for God to teach you and to open the eyes of your heart and your mind as you read it. R means read it. Now, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, devotionally speaking, I read one verse. Uh, sometimes I read right now, I'm reading one chapter of Romans a day. And today uh, I, I read in uh, Romans chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 12. It says, let your love be genuine. And so really dealing with that idea of how do I become uh, genuine and how I love others. But that's R. Then A, ask questions. What, what does something mean? It's okay to ask what it means. Even write it down. And that's why you need a good study Bible to maybe answer those questions. I interpret what it says. 
And so this is where you're going to use your resources, having more than one version of the Bible. And I do not suggest you use the King James Version. Get something like New American Standard Bible, the New International or International Version, or uh, the English Standard Version. Uh, even the Holcomb Christ, Christian Standard is a good one. But interpret it to what it understands and using some different resources. Always have a good study Bible. And then S, summarize it. Summarize what it's saying and apply it to your life. How are you, you know, like for me this morning, how can I be genuine in my love for other people? And then E, engage with God, asking him to use what you read to change you. Spend time in scripture. Guys, I hope this has been helpful for you. I know it's a lot. But uh, we do have specific opportunities here at River Hill several times a year where we can sit down and we get to teach you how to use your Bible. Learn to use it. Let it speak to you and let it change you. Love you guys. Can't wait to see you this Sunday as we wrap up our current teaching series, Who Is He? by discussing God's grace. See you then.